Hello and welcome back to playerpredict.com. I'm delighted to be joined by this week. It's actually a guy that doesn't need an introduction. Usually I have a big paragraph done out, but anyone my age group in particular grew up in the GA circuits knows that face straight away. It is, of course, Conor Mortimer. Conor, thanks so much for joining us. No problem, Charles. How are you? All good? All good, all good. Conor, before we kind of get in, because I know there's a lot of topical stuff that we want to talk about, it, but just want to wind it back a little bit on, on your career. I know I always ask people who their sporting you know, idols were or people that have influence on, and particularly more so for someone like you in particular, that I know so many kids in Mayo, what, what, even my age group as well, would have, you would have been an idol for, idol for so many people. You'd see all the kids at the game, which you're, even before you wouldn't see normally see too many names in jerseys. You'd see a few Conor Marts around as well. Yeah. So you have been an, an idol for so many people. But you yourself growing up, I know it's a busy family in, 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 with your brothers and stuff, so that would have been a big influence. But who in particular were the big kind of guys that kind of steered your, your, your great um, sporting career? Um, yeah, look at it. I, I think you know, and it's funny touching on to it because I was always it was all soccer for me growing up. I, I didn't have a huge, I suppose, yeah, I love watching football and the likes of Barry Joyce, Morris Fitzgerald, obviously Kieran McDonald, to Colin Corkery, to also Shed, you know, the likes there. of those guys, obviously from the football side of it. But I was 99% soccer pretty much till I was probably 18 or 19 years of age, and that was. You know, Gerard, Ronaldo, Letty, all these players that, you know, what well, the influence is probably not. But I mean, in regards to successful, I suppose, athletes, you know, and it would have been from a vast range of sports, as in soccer, you know, basketball, American football in particular as well. Um, and, it, you know, it's kind of funny because it wasn't, wasn't per se their sporting prowess. You know, it was more or less, you know, the kind of match mad sports people that I would have probably enjoyed watching more than anyone else I, I suppose on the unpredictability of them and what they're going to do or or, or what not um, and I think that kind of related back to when I played you know I wouldn't have been a, a madman on a pitch or anything like that but some of the celebrations and some of the hair and tattoos and stuff <laughs> like that I mean that's the kind of stuff you kind of pick up and you get into it yourself then but look at I suppose I, I wouldn't look too far from my own family in relation to you know, knowing what it took to, to play at county level and what needed to be done. Obviously, Kenneth and Trevor had, had been there before me. And, you know, I had been training, obviously, with the senior team, you know, 17 or so. Give me one sec. I'll call you back. Um, how would you say it in relation to, you know, I suppose what I needed to do to, to get playing at that level and... and I would have looked at the, up to them guys, and uh, you know, it was funny because obviously, like McDonald, Brady, McHale, you know, James Allen, you know, Fordy Costello, Kevin Cahill, John Casey, you know, all these guys from that time who I was training with at the start as, as a young fella, they're the guys you would have looked up to. I think it was two years, you know, after they were in our Ireland senior final, which was probably as, as far away as Mars was mm. for the likes of me being, being a young fella. Um, but I think when you get into their company and you start training with them and after a while, you know, it's, 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 you look up to them, no, you're kind of one of them. And then I suppose that's, you know, when you touch on when kids start looking up to you then, you know, it's kind of like passing on a baton or whatever along the way. And I played with them obviously for a few years and stuff. And, you know, I, I think it's just a mixture of so many different sports and different people. And, you know, I think the celebration side of it, lifting a jersey was predominantly from soccer. It happens probably every week, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, and obviously, it's a bit of fun and stuff like that. But 
you know, I think it, I think it was an accumulation of different different sports people, uh, you know, pretty much everywhere that I would kind of looked up to, as opposed to one or two, you know. Yeah, you seem to have kind of picked kind of bits and pieces of different, as you said, different sports and different attributes, and you kind of, I suppose, hone them to yourself. Uh, the one that comes into mind, and it, just while you're chatting there, was the, the Michael Jackson one as well. Like that mm. was almost unheard of in a way for people. Like, we got to know footballers and hurlers for strictly what they did, like the, the manliness of it all. And, you know, wasn't it great they could hit the ball or kick the ball for so long? But here was you having a, a different edge to it. Was that, is that something you, like you always, that's your, probably your personality, or is that something you were kind of striving to be almost the, the entertainer? I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but to, to give um, inside. No, not, not, not really, because, I mean, at that time, I think particularly before that game, there's, you know, there's, it's like everything. There's a reason for everything. True. Um, um, and I think at that particular time, I I was on the bench for that game, for um, kind of a you know a, I don't know what the word is a bit of a disagreement or whatever with the manager previous to that. Not a not a disagreement verbally or anything like that. It was just it was an issue pre that. I didn't start that game. Um, I think I was I went to the holiday or something. Instead of I, I was supposed to be training or something like that. Whatever I did, I, I don't really recall, but. Basically, you know, it, it just came into my head, right? I was on the bench, so I'll do this the night before. And, you know, if the stars align, you're going to get on, get a chance to score, and then you get an opportunity to, you know, lift your top or whatever like that. You know what I mean? And it's, it's, it was one of those things, really. Um, obviously, Michael Jackson had died that week. I mean, that was the idea. Of on the T-shirt. Um, but no, and I'd say two minute thoughts. Night before, write this on a t shirt, put it on under my jersey, get a chance, lift it up, and away you go. And, and <clears throat> I suppose, look at, you know, did you, did you get attention at the time? Of course you did, but I did as a player anyway. Um, but, you know, particularly in Galway and the game that it was against who it was. And, you know, I think that was the, and obviously to get a goal, obviously at the time, which benefited the team, obviously to win the game. So, I mean, it was. It was just one of those things. I mean, you know, would it have happened if I didn't have it on the top? Maybe, maybe not. You know, who knows? But that was all. It was more jest than anything else. Um, and and that was that, really. Do you ever get? Did you? Or I suppose it's more looking back at it now. Uh, just curious. Like you, I think you, I, I suppose at times got unfair criticism. I think that's just because <clears throat> I think the elite players get criticised a lot more. There's more expected of them, and, and then and stuff like that. And I think. I'm from, I'm from Galway as well, so when you are in the bubble, that is, it's hard to explain to people here in Dublin at times just how much of a bubble, like, it's, it's almost because, this is going to sound awful disrespectful, but it's almost because back at home at times, it's Gaelic football or nothing, and it's the be and end all of everyone's yeah. life, so I think criticism can go completely over the top. Like, you were you were a guy, a true superstar of the, name, of the game, and then all the other attributes, you know, the hair, the boots and everything, you are a true icon. Mm. But did you ever feel that that kind of gave you unjust criticism where players that might be a bit more kind of vanilla were, got away with a lot more? Um, yeah, if I'm honest, you know, and look, at negative stuff never affected me at that time because, you know, when you're training hard and you're practicing and you're playing well, you know, you don't really care. But, you know, in hindsight... You know, and, I, and I've always reverted back to it. Um, uh, you know, if I had been, I mean, you can't really help your personality. You are who you are. True. Uh, and I think that that probably clashed in my later stages with with with, with the manager. Um, you know, 
some managers struggle to kind of separate the fact that you're going to go on the pitch and do your job, regardless of how you look or what attention you get or what interviews you're called to do or various aspects like that. Um, where, you know, the quiet Joe Soap, who would still do the same, but minus the distraction, shall we say, would always get, get you know, I suppose more leeway. And that's on a management point of view. And look at a supporter's point of view, pretty much the same. And I think, you know, criticism that I would have got as a player at times, obviously just because, I mean, you set your own standards. Mine would have been high. Of course. Um, 90% of the time, 95% of the time, I would perform. There's always times you don't perform. Um, and then you get get the raft. And that's the nature of the game. But, but you know, I suppose on your point, do people, I suppose they have more more to say because you're slightly different as opposed to you know someone that's that you know doesn't do anything different I suppose really just goes out and plays and even if they're crap week on week on there's no criticism yeah but whereas you know this fellow's hair and this fellow's boots and it's an know, easy target there. almost yeah, yeah and, and look at them it's not a disrespect to people but I, I genuinely think they're not you know the those people who criticize they're not football people I mean Football is football. It's what you do with the ball when you're inside the four lines. Anything outside that is completely irrelevant to support. It's end. But some supporters feel the need to, you know, to jump on it. It was the same at McDonald in his time as well. Um, you know, and look, to me, all supporters are critical. Don't get me wrong. As well as being supportive. Um, but I just think somewhere in the middle, over the last few years, that 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 has been lost. I think you know. I think the. What's the word? The the permission to abuse players. There is no middle anymore. You know, it's it's very simple. If it's on social media, or if it's at a game, or you're this or you're that, and you know, and I think people are very very quick. You know, it's very easy for a player to say to someone, "Well, you know, you're not on the pitch. Obviously, you're, you you might never have played for your country. You might never have been, uh, uh, you know, have been good enough to play for your country." Absolutely. Um, but that doesn't relate to people. If you say that to somebody, they don't care because you're in the position to do that. So therefore, they think they have authority to, you know, get at you and start abusing you or giving you this or that or whatever it may be. And it's the one thing I always found, 90% of the supporters in me are fantastic supporters, probably one of the best supporters in the country. But there's always that 10%. It's in every county. Ours, ours were particularly... Um, Harsh at times with, with players, not just myself, um, but harsh in a nasty way, not not in a yo you're playing badly or you're shite or whatever, you know there'd be you know family stuff and abuse and and personal stuff and you know it, over time it, it washes off you brush it off your shoulder but I mean when you're constantly in that zone uh, and that's the sad reality I haven't I don't think I've been in out for a night in my own the best part of when well, I was out a couple of years ago but. I'd say once or twice in the last seven, eight years um, because it's, it's not worth the hassle of listening to crap. It's, it's just not. And, and I know there's quite a lot of players on that regard. But as I said, it's, it's the 10%, but it's in every county and every walk of life. It's not just in Mayo. It's, it's everywhere. Because by and large, fantastic supporters, a great support group. They have been for me all through my career. And, you know, you'll always get the few, I suppose, idiots really. Yeah, Alan. Like the, I think abuse and the it's become more prevalent now. There's so many more platforms to 
unleash <clears throat> your anger. And it, it, you know, spoke actually recently was enough with Tony O'Regan. He's a performer. He's the former goalie hurler, but a performance and personal coach as well. And I've kind of the, I think <clears throat> without getting too deep into it, we're at a generation now where social media is completely taken over and it's allowed a platform where a generation are not used to, we haven't a customizer, we've no ground rules in social media. So everything goes and the stuff that people say on social media, we've seen it across various sporting platforms and sporting mm. bodies, but you wouldn't dare say that to someone on the street. And it's become a big, big problem as well. Like how, how is it okay to say behind on the, your smartphone or behind a keyboard, but yet you wouldn't dare have the balls to say it to someone down the street and how you, how would people adapt with that? And to do for someone like yourself, that's, and many other county players as well that have, sacrifice so much to hear that abuse either face to face or behind a keyboard it must be so difficult to take I, I'm not quite sure I'd personally be able to kind of hold my, bite my lip and hold back I guess unfortunately over time you get used yeah. to it look at I suppose now it's, it's different because obviously I'm a lot older now I suppose when Twitter started you know I would have been quick to jump back which I suppose the unfairness I find is oh well you're in a position you played for me or you're well known or so you can't technically send them back like well you know what <laughs> you know and that went on for quite quite a long time um you know you still get a bit of stuff on twitter and stuff but i've always said you know and for me as well i mean if you're if you're on those channels and you're open to you know using the platform as a voice or for whatever it is, you have to be prepared to take some kickback. I mean, that's just part and parcel. If you're not, get off. It's as simple as that. I mean, I, you know, nobody needs Twitter. Nobody needs Facebook. Nobody needs Instagram. But you'd swear now, obviously, people are making a living from these things. Do you know what I mean? Where on, on one side, you know, oh, it's, it's pictures and all that other kind of stuff. Yet on the other side, you know, it's not known you know, the abuse that some people are getting through the messages on it in relation to a picture that might be so flattering for somebody or, you know, you might be going through a tough time or, or whatever. Yes, there is people out there who's abusing people. And it's the same on Twitter and it's the same on, on other social Facebook, I'd imagine, as well. Um, and, but that's the nature of social media. And I, I think it's more prevalent now. I mean, you've seen people obviously, you know, committing suicide over the abuse they get online. And I, I just think, how do you solve it? I don't know. I, I, I couldn't tell you what, what's to do. Is it regulated by, by Twitter and these? I mean, they're obviously, it's a business to them. You know, that's, yeah. they're not bloody billionaires for no reason or millionaires, whatever you want to call them. So, you know, and I, and I think that's, that's kind of what it comes back to is money for the, for the big boys and, and the suffering along the way. Usually you'll see when people are making big, big money, there's a lot of collateral damage along the way that that person at the top of that table won't care. And that's, I suppose, that's kind of the way it is in the world uh, in a lot of cases. But, you know, I'm sure it can be regulated. Um, the minute someone gets an abuse, you should be able to send a report. That other person should be suspended straight away, investigate, and then decide what to do with them. You know, they're, they're not, but, you know, that's, I suppose, not really for me to say. But, you know, as I said, if you're on the channel, you know, and, and you're willing to, to give a bit of bite back, you know, expect it in return. Yeah, uh, and like I suppose, like it seems like a, a un, like unthinkable really at the moment. Um, but when we when you go back 10, 15, 20 years, when we were a bit younger, um, social media wasn't really prevalent. I think you might have had the likes of Bebo and stuff like that came around. But mm -hmm. I suppose to your early kind of male career 
probably wouldn't have been as prevalent, the uh, social media and stuff like that. It's a big difference now for a young guy coming through, or a young person, whatever, male or female, coming, coming through in a sporting environment, that they also have to manage their sporting career. And then there's this other element at the side, which is, <coughs> I always think, I always think it's, it's, it's quite difficult for young people coming through now. It is, but I mean, and it goes back to, I suppose, do you get on it or do you not? You know, I think a lot of people nowadays are going on it due to work reasons and getting their companies out there and stuff like that, which is fine. You know, you don't see a lot of interaction from present players on True. Twitter on these things. There's not a huge amount of it. Um, I think I, I, you know, I was obviously, I wasn't hugely on it, but I was on it when I, at the end of my career. Um, and, you know, it's obviously difficult for people, but I think you have to be able to separate, you know, it's, it's social media, it's, you know, I, che I use it to check out news, have a rant here and there, you know, check a few pictures of Liverpool or whatever it may be, um, for those aspects of it without, you know, the, I suppose, the, the abusive side of it, but, you know, and I'm no different to everyone else. I mean, you can, you'll obviously see me on it now ranting and raving about the government every day of the week due to it being closed, so yeah. I mean, you use it for a voice, does it matter? Probably not. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't give it to someone on a personal level as in to Joe Bloggs saying you're this or you're that. Because, I mean, ultimately, you know, I, I suppose I'm not really that type of person. Um, but, you know, some, uh, the amount of accounts that aren't real, the ones that, start, that are really knife-threading knife to some people, you know, there's a lot of issues. But I suppose, come back to your question with young people, you know, I suppose it's everyone's their own. I mean, imagine everyone is on Facebook or whatever like that and Instagram anyway. You know, Twitter is, is hit and miss for some people. But as I say, I don't think it's, it's for youngsters coming through. You know, I, I, I'd imagine a lot of them can take it or leave it because it's until you're more recognized that that's when it'll start. You're going to have to search for someone if you want to start talking to them or whatever like that, as opposed to the general, you know, who's well known out there you know, Barbie, whoever, then that's when you'll see them on the, you know, on Twitter or whatever social media channel, you know, so they, but they have to be careful because, as I said, the minute you're on these things, you know, there's not a lot of opportunity for the people in, you know, Mayo or, I don't know, Cork or Galway or whatever to talk to the likes of, you know, Shane Walsh or Aidan O'Shea or, but they can go on Twitter and you can be sure these people will see what's said. They they generally never get to to talk to these people, you know what I mean? And that that might that's what a lot of young people try and do. Um, I suppose that's the the benefit of it. But you know, it's 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 a dangerous little world out there on on social media. You have to be really really ready for it, and that's for all ages coming into. Yeah, and look, we see that across a vast array of sports. You even look at Zaha recently in the Premier League coming into a vital game, some of the horrible stuff being sold from a kid and stuff like that. So it's it's not just GA related, unfortunately. It is, I think, a bigger problem for society even. Mm. Um, without getting, I don't want to go too delving too much into it, but I'd be more curious. To, so you have your very, you know, successful mayor career, and I mean, I'm, that's not a dig around, and it was very successful. People try and I think knock Mayo because. I'm probably guilty of it myself as well from growing up growing up on the border as well. That go and rivalry is intense and people like to jump on a bandwagon. 
I guess similar to akin to Liverpool with the, with the Premier League and stuff like that, not winning. It's the it's the easy target. But hmm. you you committed so much of your your life uh, to Mayo GA, and even I would have, without paraphrasing you too much, I'd imagine you sacrificed a lot of kind of career uh, opportunities and stuff like that to be completely you know mayo 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 and get your body in, in every condition when that's taken away from you then is that is that a difficult you know adjustment um is it difficult uh, it probably is and it isn't i think um i was probably you know career-wise i was working away when i finished um i wasn't at a loose head in relation to what i was going to do i had a fair idea what i was going to do i had a plan that's why i was okay. governor at that time um I didn't realise it was going to be over at that time, but whether I played for Mayo for another couple of years or not, it wasn't affecting my work, what I was doing at that current time. Um, so, you know, but I, I suppose I can imagine what it feels like for somebody who has left or has been asked to leave a panel. I think you gauge it along the way as you're going along. I don't think it's, it's, it's an overnight decision from any management team in relation to a player. So players will have a general idea of running into a decision that's going to be made maybe a month or six weeks or eight weeks or whatever it may be. <clears throat> um, but, you know, it's, it's the one thing I think... I was lucky, obviously. Obviously, I worked at, at home for a few years before I went to college at 24, 25. Um, I lived at home. I wasn't... You know, I didn't... I, I, I hadn't a huge financial outgoings at that time. I obviously lived at home. I had a company. I sponsored car, should I say. Um, we got meals after training and after games. So, I, I, you know, I wasn't out and about at that stage or anything like that. I, I you know, I didn't need money for, for damn all. So, from probably 17 when I started training with Mayo seniors um, all the way to 32, 33, you know, I only probably got out in the real bad world when I went to college at 24 in Dublin on my own um, to see... Obviously, that was when I started thinking of, right, I'm talking to these guys at training. I was working with Dad at the time of the quarry. Did I see myself there for life? No. Um, they're all coming back with stories of training about college and blah, blah, blah. So I wasn't great at school. So I, I, I actually did not think that I, I could study or learn in relation to a, to a classroom setting. Um, went in first year, second year, tough two years, failed a few exams, repeated them, passed them. Um, and as I suppose, what's the word? I got to enjoy it three, year three and four. Like I was doing a sports science degree, which is very, very tough. Um, so got into that and then obviously got a degree. And then I said, right, I'll go and do a master's in Belfast, um, which was probably my greatest achievement as opposed to anything on a football pitch. If, if you've seen me in school when I was in St. Mary's, you okay. Jarrett's. It wasn't, I was always playing football, I was out training, I wanted to be playing, there was no interest in class, no interest in study, no, all I wanted to do in study was listen to soccer on the, on the earphones, okay, five okay. it was at the time, that's all I was, I was mad into all sports. Um, and I think when you're young, you're naive, you think, right, this is going to be it for life. Um, but obviously as you get older, you kind of, things change. Um, you know, and I, I think people don't understand that at times. You know, you have other fo focuses on your career, your family, girlfriends, wives, kids, you know, work. All those things are, are, are to put it bluntly, more important than sport and amateur sport. Um, it served me well, don't get me wrong. Um, but 
it was the work that I did, the training and the practicing that I did, the sacrifices that I made that entailed that. It's it's not it's not as easy to say sport, well, gave you this or that. Because you know yeah, true. everybody got it better than Yeah, you're not born with them qualities. You're you know, you have talent obviously it's a ta- we you know, we had a lot of football in our family all the way through. But it's the work on it, the practice, the practice, the practice, you know what I mean? Um and that that's what it boils down to. That's why I don't have regrets in relation to my career or, or what I did with Mayo because you know, I, I put a lot of work into it. I enjoyed my time. Um finished a couple of years too early, yes, I'll agree regretfully um, but you know there was no leeway from the manager at that time either so you know it was 50-50 mistake and and that's the long short but I, I don't regret it and I don't think about it I don't worry about it so yeah. it's yeah. and upwards yeah no because it, it was spoke to again I keep going back to but it, it's just a fascinating one I did recently with Tony O'Gregan and he's mm. was, was cut by he was a guy I like yourself as well who consumed Galway GA or Newcastle Mayo GA and that was his bread yeah. and butter for the cuts of you're talking 20 years between underage and stuff like that. He got a yeah. phone call in off the manager at the time and said he was no longer required. That cut him off. He openly said it took him years and years to get over that. And even mm. he almost resented watching Galway play and stuff like that. They found it difficult. Does it make it, I suppose, easier is the wrong word. The fact that, you know, you had a kind of a sort of a, a choice is the wrong word as well, but you were had part of the decision to step away from that. From that. Does that make it a little easier? Um. It's, it, no, it's probably harder because okay. when I left, I thought it was for that year. Right. I didn't think actually anything. It's in hindsight, I was thinking, right, it's this, the rest of this year. It was hasty at the time, but I mean, there was a lot of frustration built up to that. Um, and obviously the same manager was there three or four years, so the, the, there was no going back then, which, look, the manager has his, his, uh, his opinion, which is, which is fine. Um, if he thought it was better there, then that's his choice. Um, and and it's any manager's choice to pick who they want to play on their team, and and I have no problem with that. I never have had a problem with that. Um, did I feel it was better there? I don't. I I I have never done. Um, but you know, I'm I'm not the manager. Um, it's easy to say now, but I've said the exact same thing about two weeks after I left, and I've said it since. I haven't changed. Um, but yeah, look, it's hard when you when you know. You know, you're watching two All Ireland. You know you can, you can tri- contribute, yeah. and you know you're, how would you say it, better than one or two that that, that played. I and mean, that's the reality of it. It's not an arrogant thing. That's the way it was at that time, um, and unfortunately, that it, it, it didn't transpire that I that I got to play. Um, and I watched two All Irelands, probably three actually, um, that I felt that I could contribute, um, and the manager knew that. But that must be very tough. It was tough to watch. Um, you know, I wouldn't have been as I wouldn't have had resent, you know, as opposed to Tony Ogan in relation to that. But you know, it, it hurt a bit. But you know, I mean, it, it would have been very, very hard. I mean, obviously, if they got on a one goal out, it's hard to watch them playing in a final, particularly the year that I left before the Connacht final. It's two games later than an Ireland final. Um, that's that's a difficult time because you're in an abyss really over a decision that you made. Um, that obviously in hindsight was regrettable, but it didn't feel like that at the time. Um, so, but look, it's it's like anything, you, you know. You you get on with things in life, you move on, and you keep pushing on. And you know, I, I suppose it was a year later that you turned into a real supporter for the lads. I would have got on well with all the boys, and anyway, um, that was never going to be an issue. Um, but 
you know, I suppose any year they win it, you know, now it's it's a, it's a celebratory time as opposed to back at that time closer where it was a bit more raw when I wasn't there at the time, I suppose, really, you know. Perfect. And last question, because I don't want to get honed up on this as well, but it's something I think we've seen the game evolve over the last couple of years, and particularly I think with the increase to, from three to five subs and the, the game literally, it, it used to be before that you had your 15 and then if you weren't in the 15, you may as well be, you may as well be in the next city or stand or whatever, you, you weren't going to be involved. But I think through the likes of the dubs and stuff like that, we've seen them... I think people call them finishers now as well, substitutes that yeah. come on to, like the likes of yeah. Bernard Brogan and stuff like that, who might have lost their starting position, but were kind of not happy in a subs role, but had an impact as a sub role. Does that ever in, kind of, could have maybe, I know you were so disappointed and it's it's a nature of your personality and what made you so good that mm. you fully believed you were, for, should have been first choice. That's taken away. Does it ever kind of come back? Maybe, oh, I could have been, not the super sub, but I could have had a big no, impact. No, as, look, of course it does. But, I mean, that wasn't relevant or prevalent at that time. It wasn't a squad. You know, you could have got a few minutes. Of course you could. But it, it certainly wasn't explained. And it certainly hadn't that feel about that squad at that time that it's a 30-man squad in relation to winning games. And I think, you know, it still isn't in the majority of counties. Dublin, obviously, because they have that quality. If you five all Ireland and you're sitting on a bench, you're content enough to come in and finish off 15, 20 minutes to go and get another alarm, and get another alarm, get another alarm. It does it, a lot of teams don't have that luxury of having that quality in their squads. Um, and we've spoke about it for the last four or five years. Dublin's bench has won them all Ireland. Other counties' benches haven't. We've bought on subs in the Ireland final. Kerry have bought on subs in the Ireland final. Donegal hasn't done it because it's not, you know, if you have such competition, fine. And a lot of counties will tell you they do. But that's just in their own county. Okay. That's not in the grand scheme of the, of the all of the All-Ireland. Definitely not. And that's, you know, when you have a squad of battlers who you can pick and choose, fine. But the majority of counties, their first 15 is fairly certain when you're picking it. And there might be one or two odd calls. Dublin, they probably have four or five decisions they can make or cannot make. But if they don't make them in the first half, they'll probably make them in the second half. That's the difference with Dublin. Yeah, no, and it was even if you look at Liverpool, I'm a big Liverpool fan as well. You see the, I suppose again, probably touched on a good bit in your studies. It's what Klopp has brought in terms of that siege squad mentality, and even mm. small things come to mind, like making sure that everybody got a medal, even if they necessarily didn't play. But you do fully believe in all the backroom staff as well. That that's. I suppose in your involvement now in sport, that, that's probably something that you feel very passionately about or you can see, like obviously we've seen the benefits with Liverpool, but I think sport mm. has changed in the last couple of years. GA in particular was very guilty of being in the dark ages at times with some of their thoughts and, and methods. It's now changing in other sports and you can slowly see it starting to, to, to weave in. You would have studied a lot of that side of things as well, I'd imagine. Yeah, look at it. I think it's very evident because in soccer, regardless if it's professional or amateur, you've got so many different personalities. Yet, at the end of the day, uh, you know, a good manager will mix personality and their talent into the overall squad. And then they'll benefit that on the pitch. Whereas a lot of GA managers, you know, and it, it goes back to, and the majority of them are still the same. Don't think for a minute they're not. That, every, that 30 people on that panel are all expected to do the exact same thing. You're all the same. 
you're all part of my panel. I control the 30 guys. If one guy decides to step out of line and do something a little bit differently, good luck. That's a lot of, that's a lot of the GEA. It's very difficult to manage that. The good managers manage, I, don't, I, I wouldn't say everybody differently, but everybody on their strengths and their merits. Good managers. Klopp does it to a team. You know, his personal relationship with players is fantastic. <clears throat> that's the benefit and that's the difference. And I know Jim Gavin might not appear on the sideline to have that relationship. I can guarantee you it's like that off house, off screen. Some managers don't have it at all, the personal relationship. It's not. You're coming in there as a, as a number on that squad, which is fine. But ultimately, everyone is dealing with something differently in their life that has to be, you know, you have to have a certain amount of, of you know, leeway in regards to, you know, it's not someone going off for a week in the beer. It's not someone going on holidays. Some people are maverick footballers. Some people are very standard footballers. But they're still playing the same team. So how do you marry that together? That's what the good managers do. Get his personality mixing with the quiet guy. Then you have something in the middle that you can work with as opposed to having two different people. Do you know what I'm saying? And that yeah. goes back to the management style. And if you have it, you have it. And some managers have. Unfortunately, others don't. It must be frustrating if you are in the because you look at the benefits and again I don't want to hone in too much in Liverpool, but you look at even look at the front three alone. Like you have Salah, who's very much kind of his own career, his own, you know, yeah. from Egypt and that's his personality. I suppose Manny is slightly similar in a way as well. He's kind of very much mm-hmm. driven in the game. But then in the middle of them all tying it all together, you have Bobby Firmino and look at his hairstyles, his celebrations, his extravagant, look at his Instagram yeah. as well, his clothes on and off the pitch. But like Klopp has knitted them all together. They would run into walls with each other. I wouldn't necessarily say that they're best friends. We've seen Manny have no. Squabbles over goals and stuff like that, but on the pitch together, there is like this tight width. They will run through walls with each other. That's as well ultimately what a good manager does. He has them, you know, going for the primary goal. But bear in mind the mistake a lot of managers will make in a GA setting: the goal is to win the All Ireland. Okay. Top goal at the start of the year, I can guarantee you, is not to win the Premier League. It's not to win the Champions League. It's not to win the FA Cup. It's to get his team pressing as hard as they can press, working as hard as they can work, and success will follow. That's, the, that's what Klopp will do. Whereas other guys, right, the only goal is an All-Ireland or a Connacht Championship, a Leinster or whatever it may be. And, you know, if you don't have the, the first bit, you cannot get the second bit. And that's, as you say, when it comes to gelling together and, and, and being a good manager, you know, I can see it being involved with teams myself. I mean, everyone is, you know, you can't treat everyone the exact same. You just can't do it because, you know, what works for you might work for me and vice versa. And that's what the manager has to do is, is gel all those guys together to get everyone, whatever works, you know, to a certain percentage, not going to be everything, but whatever makes you tick to be as good as you are, as opposed to running 20 laps. Will I be better off taking freeze down there? working on my game you know yeah. not, in the, not in the winter but obviously in the summer where some manager is, is fixed on, everyone is doing whatever together I don't care do you know what I'm saying yeah absolutely and that's just yeah. the nature that's old school that's gone out in 
Yeah, so you, you, you on the end, like you've kind of evolved, you said you're managing teams and stuff as well. Do you almost like feel like you have, obviously from your study as well, but your experience of your, you know, very successful career and stuff like that, you've seen the good and bad. Do you try and trying to try be that modern, that better approach to, to things when, you, when you're involved um, in teams? Well, I do a lot of coaching, you see. I don't get involved in the management side of it because I wouldn't have the time to commit to it at this moment in my life. But from the coaching point of view, you know, it's, Every club has a few kind of headers, we'll say, as players. Um, I always relate to them because I know what... They're generally very, very good players, but have different aspects of stuff going on in their lives. You know, they might be doing a nine-to-five job. We have two kids at home and be steady, steady, steady. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Might be at a bit of a loose end, which a lot of players can be. Um, and they're the ones you work on to, to reassure them that, you, you know, you're a part of their plans. Um, you know how good they are. All they need is sometimes an arm around the shoulder. Other times a kick in the arse. That's, that's the balance. How, how can you bring that balance to players? And any team I work with, I'll always say to the manager who I work with, I'll talk to Sean, I'll talk to Chris, I'll talk to Mark, I'll talk to whoever. And I'll look after them in relation to coaxing them around and getting the best out of them. That, you know, that's, as a coach, you can be... You know, you can show a fellow kick the ball over the bar every night of the week, 100 times. But it's the other side of it, which is far more important. So that they're comfortable, they're confident in their... And you're doing your best to keep them on that straight path. Because a lot of times, you know, guys will have... You know, they might have friends or they might have something they are going to do something. You don't want them to go and do that. You need to keep them focused on, on the goal that you have of getting this team, as I say, to play a certain way. To in the end hopefully be successful and that's the kind of balance that you need to get because I've seen it both sides I mean John Moore and Mickey Moore Mickey Moore you know knew how to get the best out of me um, and gave me the freedom to do that now other managers probably didn't I, I probably still played well and, and was successful but you know it was more of a rigid structure whereas Mickey Moore and Morrison was a lot more widespread they knew they had different personalities on the pitch. They knew they had different personalities in the changing rooms. And they gave you that opportunity to be who you are, as opposed to, you know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, it's like sometimes in relationships with people and, and you see it down the road where you're not going to be someone who, you know, how would you say it? Give me a manager point of view. He wants you to be this, you're this. That's, yeah, it's never you know, going to work. If he wants you to do, a certain role or a duty, that's fine. But to be someone you're not, you know, true, it, it, it doesn't make sense because you got to that stage by being who you are, by being good at what you're doing. And then all of a sudden, they want you to change this. You know, and it, you know, it, it didn't make sense at times over the years with some people, but, you know, I, I didn't buy into it too much because I just went down, trained hard, practiced well, and, 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 90%, 95% of the time was picked to start anyway because I was still playing well. And I, 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 a lot of, there's not many managers that will tell you I was difficult because I was never difficult to a manager. I would have done anything a manager asked all the way through uh, when they gave me the opportunity. And, you know, that, that's pretty much the long and short. Yeah, perfect. So your like a your move as well up to up to Dublin to Parnell. I know from similarly moving from a you know a small country club up to a club here in Dublin. I, I found it completely different in terms of the the community and I suppose 
back home it's one thing it is the main social everything outlook and then you come up here and it's like a dot in the in literally in the big ocean how, how, mm. did, how, how did you find that transition from i suppose the ultimate club to city um i found it okay i was in college for four years previously that helped, that helped, as, helped as well it was, it, was, it, was, it was seamless enough for me um i was out of work for six months at home and she needed to get try and get some work there was, there was working around the city um obviously joined Parnells then and that was it. it it wasn't a big issue for me um i was ready i look at i've been in and out of dublin for 10 years previous to that it was it's and i i like the cities I, I love cities um i like being around the city um so it suited both sides for me um and I enjoyed my time in Parnells, don't get me wrong. I, I had a good time there. Enjoyed the football there. Dublin football is very, very competitive. It's very, very physical. Um, but it's enjoyable. It was the same as when we were played against Dublin. You know, good players, tough, physical. And, 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 and that was pretty much it, really. I didn't have an issue with it. Um, and my club had my had I got grace from my club as well because I knew the situation at the time. You never like leaving your home club. Of course you don't. Um, but at the end of the day, I had to kind of, get out on my own and start earning a living. That's, that's what yeah, I did. Absolutely. Because you'd kind of spend, I guess, most of your 20s really with just focusing on whether it was your college or working at home, but you were pretty much, Mayo football was your number one. This, from looking yeah. at you, it seemed like your, your career kind of, not started, but your, your professional career, I suppose, you kick-started then in terms of Parnells and now in your, in your current yeah. role at the, the Glen Royal. How, how are you... Yeah. How, how are you um, Obviously, it's very uncertain times. You're the what is the general manager of the So that's a dangerous, I suppose, weird, weird situation for you guys to be in at the moment. Um, yeah, you're in the area as well. I know from looking at your tweets and stuff like that. It's uh, it's very you're very passionate about it. Put it that way. But I suppose how how are things at the moment? Or to kind of summarize how the last couple of months have been since we've gone into lockdown, pretty much. Uh, look at the first lockdown was very very tough. Um, you know we didn't have a time frame on it; just dragged on and dragged on. I mean, you know you're just thinking what do you what what do you do for uh, you know for as a, as your work. Obviously, I was employed. And I was working through a lot throughout in the hotel. To be fair, um, but obviously came back, started strong the last five or six weeks. Obviously, a lot of money spent on on precautions for COVID and stuff like that. And you know, I think the most frustrating thing for me. Is the fact that the government knew about these these sectors that are issues now, um, you know, and should have acted on it well in advance. Um, and you know, there, there hasn't been cases traced back to gyms, swimming pools, bars, even for that matter, at this moment in time. Yet, due to another sector's mistakes and and virus, that you know, six hours notice and you're closed for two more weeks which could be three weeks, could be four weeks, we, we don't know. And I think that's the, you know, I, I think anyone in our sector and Kildare, Leash or Offaly probably feels that it's, it's, it's very unfair that due to another sector's mistake that we're paying the penalties and obviously losing the revenue for that because obviously August was the month to get in as much revenue as you can if the schools are opening again for staycations and stuff. And now two weeks that are gone for us, which is very, very disappointing. Um, and, you know, I, as you say yourself, I mean, who knows what's going to happen in the next couple of months? Nobody knows. Obviously, on the leisure side of it, the gym will probably get back to being busy the minute it opens. But, you know, we're all using the COVID app. Yes, 
it doesn't really matter when it comes to the government if they decide to close you. So what, what, why, you know, there's no one in my facility. Why do I need the app? That's pretty much my take. Now. You know, I'm not out anywhere. I go to work, I go home, I go to work, I go home. That's it. So yeah. they have it everywhere. Yeah, like, and yeah, I don't, I'm conscious, I don't want to pigeonhole or kind of tar people, but we have seen, you know, big, this was as big kind of issues, I would flag them, or potential issues, you know, you have direct provision, you've obviously had yeah. the, the, the issues we've discussed here when, in terms of the certain industries where it just went like wildfire yeah. fire there as well, and you, put it, and you still have the likes of the airports are still open, so there's still people going, mm. and then I guess there's people then, maybe it's a reflection of that all that they're, some of the young people they're so cheesed off and they're so frustrated about everything else that they're they don't have a pub to go to or they don't have a nightclub to go to they're young they want to get out and about can't really get to sports yeah. so they're having house parties and you know we've all seen yeah. stuff like that so all in all it's a big and utter mess really at the moment there's just seem to be resentment anger and frustration it doesn't really see the calm head to make a solution out of it all no well i think since since the cmo has left to be fair i think that i think I think if he was still there, you wouldn't see this issue. I don't think you'd see as much backlash from, from the people. Um, I think the change of government, you know, I think people, people need to realise the government changes. We're, we're staring a recession in the face. They give themselves a pay rise straight away. They look at six weeks holidays after a couple of weeks. And I think they're just kicks in the face for the, for the citizens of the country. And I think that's, that's where the problem lies. Uh, regardless of working situations. I mean, the airports, we have a trade deal, obviously, with the UK. It's very difficult to close. That's, I can understand that. That's not an issue for me. Um, should everyone be tested coming into the airport? Of course they should. should. Like, in other countries, I mean, they say they're looking at other countries, but they do that when it suits them. When it doesn't suit them, the likes of Portugal, you have to have a COVID-negative test 72 hours before you fly out of the airport. You know, we're not looking at that. They sent a list to the teachers last week about all these American schools as opposed to schools around Europe where cases are, are increasing when the schools open. Um, and, you know, uh, look, at the bottom line is, and I've said this at the start, I think this, this is obviously a sign to cleanse the world. And I think in particular Ireland, in relation to cleansing the hold that, you know, this Larry Goodman has on some government people, because it's very, very evident that in relation to the meat factories and this kind of stuff, and even for the farmers of the country who have been struggling over the last number of years due to this guy that owns bloody the majority of these, these factories. Um, and it's fairly evident. I mean, we were told to close on, on Friday night. The meat factories weren't told to close. I mean, Simon Donnelly, the minister, had said, it's my, uh, my personal opinion. You know, we were told Friday evening on the news, close. And yet the... the, the the factories where the clusters are, who has forced us to close, were still operating. I mean, obviously people are going to get frustrated and be wondering, like, I mean, what's going on here? I mean, that's the reality of it. But, you know, Irish people, to be fair, we, we, we take a lot. Um, you know, you can see in France when a decision is made politically that people aren't happy with what happens. Straight to the streets. Where in Ireland, you know, and this has been going on for a long, long time with decisions that, that aren't suiting our, you know, homeless people, you know, direct provision, Thanks. you know, you know, and all that yeah. stuff. And there's nothing being done about it. It's still going on. You know, you have a new government and they're saying the same thing, the same thing, the same thing. And it's not improving. And that's the long and short. Um, 
and then you know you're going to get a pay rise I yeah. mean pay rises are for people who do a job and you know are very good at what they do that's that's generally why you get a pay rise I mean you're doing a good job so you you, you get an increment or whatever like that but and and what's happening in the government at the moment I mean it's just it's mind-boggling mind-boggling it's very very it's very frustrating um, you know, and I can see it in my own business here. I mean, you know, what happens from now? Where where do we recoup the, the losses for the next two weeks that we're closed? It's not our fault. It's someone's fault, I can assure you that. But there you go. It's, that's where we're at. Yeah, and particularly as well that you've gone to the time and expense as well to get everything, you know, rejigged. And I know even I was yeah. talking to a school teacher during the week as well, and he's going around his classroom trying to get like move do the impossible like it's loaves and fishes style stuff about getting desk and then oh you can stream it from the next room we don't have a next room you get a prefab there's eight weeks planning permission it's just it's 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 hard to see and particularly yourselves there as well you spend so much time money i know even you've tweeted and stuff how much time you were in there getting ready during lockdown the excitement to get mm -hmm. back because everybody's seen the benefit of exercise for mental health and, and everything else that goes with it during the lockdown and here you are, a facility that can, you know, entail that and encourage that, and you're cut down again. That, that, that to me, I'd be, I'd be very much like you, ranting and raving on social media. I have yeah. to say, and like you, you know, don't it's, really very, it's very frustrating for for a business, and it's very frustrating for myself because, you know, the, you have to be realistic. I mean, the, the uncertainty about your job, you know, certainly about your business moving forward. That's the reality. That's that's what I'm. That's what we're living in. You know, I have a newborn baby coming in 12 weeks. I bought a new house last year. And then you have this uncertainty due to, you know, issues elsewhere. And that's the frustrating part because these, these sectors, as in these factories, have been flagged months ago that there are going to be issues. I mean, there was a piece in the Times there with Michal Martin about, yeah, they're an issue three months ago. And now here we are three months later. We're getting back to business. We're getting back to some sort of normality. And then due to whatever happened in the factories, I don't know, but I know that cases are out the, out the door, that whatever was said to be done wasn't done. And that's the reality. I know Veracca was saying about not blaming someone. Like, you can't just not blame someone. People are going to be out of jobs. People are going to be on the street. You don't blame someone. What do you do? Just, just take it. Because that's what they, they expect in the government, and they're used to taking this. They're used to doing what they please, having no penalties for it, and... You know, that's pretty much the long shot. Like I see last week, I don't know, it was a couple of weeks ago, about some minister getting a car to go to the north, specifically, and a cop to go to the north. So, yeah. like, you know, give me a break. Give me a break. But not my argument, not my place to be arguing about it. I'm just, it's just frustrating from a business point of view that, and even, for, as you say, mental health for the members. Gym usage, pools, families. Nah, it's just... It's ridiculous, and, and they they actually expect people to keep adhering to this. No, no. What are they going to do when a business closes down? Nothing. The They're consequences are huge, aren't they? The consequences They're are not, huge. They, they don't care. They don't care. They'd say, "Yeah, we'll do with grants, and we've this, and we've that, and we've everything else." Every penny that comes in has to be paid back, whether it be a grant or whatever it's going to be, and it's all us that's going to be paying. They're not going to be worried. I wouldn't be worried about if I was getting two hundred grand a year either. 
I suppose that's where it's way. Well, I'll flip it on its head and I don't want to put you on the, t- the spot too much. Like we've talked yeah. about a lot of the big problems and stuff like that. But mm. what, like if, if you were the other side of the desk, you're the one getting that big cushion number, you're the one getting that car. What are, the, what are the things that you would like to control from that you have witnessed now and you've been on the far end of it, probably as, big as, judge, as good as judges of anybody. What are the simple things that you would like to do that, that would help, would have everything try and get us out of this mess? Yeah, look, at, I, I'm no politician and I'm no expert on, on legal affairs either, but, you know, you have to look at the travel. That's, that's one of the main ones. Um, you look at get extra police in certain areas. I mean, there was chaos in Kilkee. There was chaos down in bloody a couple of other parts of Turley or, or Dingle or somewhere. Um, you police these areas. And when you're warned about sex, I mean, meat factories, like, use, use a bit of common sense. Very, very loud facility. Very difficult to hear someone. Social distance and very difficult. So make a plan for these factories, one way or another, and actually send an inspector. Like, I mean, it came out a few days ago that they stopped, the hedges, they stopped sending inspectors because they knew they were going to get COVID. I mean, it's, it's just mind-blowing stuff, man. I mean, if I made a decision like that in my current job, I'd be sitting out on, at the door laughing. There's no doubt about it. There is no doubt in the world about it. And then there was, there's a couple of... They're the main things. I mean, listen to the people in relation to where the issues are. I mean, them things were mentioned months ago. Months ago. Yes. Sure. You know, a lockdown, fine. Everyone locks down. Numbers go down. No, no doubt about it. But, you know... More clarity for people, I think, is, you know, give me a number of people in Timahoe that have COVID-19. I don't want a number in Kildare. Give me a number in Timahoe where the factory is. Or in Offaly where this direct provision place is. You know, you need to be exact so these people in these areas can be aware. And then lock down the town. There's 200 cases in X, X town. Lock it down. Two weeks. Bang. There you go. And that's it. Like, these things aren't... It's easy for me to say, obviously, because I, I, I'm just, a, I suppose, looking on. But I mean, you know, businesses are really, really hurt. And that, that's the, you know, especially hospitality, you know, and even pubs, you know, common sense. A pub in Dublin City in the middle of Temple Bar is very different to a pub in Shrew County Mill. Very true. There's a big difference. Yes. Everyone, you know, is staying close. And I go back to it in relation to gyms, you know, audits from gyms. Never, not a hope, no chance, not seen anybody. Like a gym who is well financed can get staff to do the cleaning, ensure social distancing, ensuring people are wearing masks, ensuring people are adhering to the guidelines. A smaller gym may not be able to afford that, yet we're all in the same umbrella, same bracket. There's no there's no separation. There's no difference. Do you know what I mean? It's if I'm making 150 grand a year, whoever's over me, right, I'm taking 50 grand off you and I'm hiring five advisors or five auditors to go out to these places and check them. But not, we pay for it. We'll pay for it. We'll pay the tax on whoever you're going to send out. Yes. Who are you sending out? I don't know. I don't know. It almost reminds me, it just came into my head there, as you're saying, it's very akin to when you're talking about good GA managers and good managers being able to adapt and review and manage people differently. It's, it's similar here, as you told the examples of the bigger kind of gyms like yourself, as opposed to 
you know, a man and his couple of bikes in the, down the country or whatever. The same way with kind of big city bars versus small rural bars where, the, where there's nothing else. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. it's, it's the same skills there. It's the same mentality, really, isn't it? It's too easy, you see, yeah, to categorize everything as one area. Leisure, hospitality, all pubs the same, all gyms the same, because that's not the way it works. But, you know, and I can understand it's a pandemic. I understand it's unknown territory for the government and for ourselves. By all means, I do. But you can't have questions from your public in relation to who's running the country, Nefet or the government. That's what everyone is asking. Nefet mm-hmm. give the guidelines, the government makes the decisions, fine. But every guideline Nefet are given is being implemented. Yeah, there seems to be a, a, not the people are afraid of, or the government seem to be afraid of going against any advice like that. Where there's a big difference between they're looking after themselves, their own back. Remember that. That's the way it's all going to be. Yeah, it, it's almost like the place of oh, I just don't want to take a chance. I don't want to risk it. i even though I'm the expert in the in the area, and I know that okay, even though it's X and Y, this isn't relevant here. You know, making yeah. those decisions, people are afraid to make decisions. You, See, with GPs and stuff like that, you go in and you're throwing antibiotics straight away. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing a lot here, but there is no responsibility. Everybody, I suppose it is part of the culture that we're in, sadly, at times where there is a kind of a, I'm going to sue you for if you get things wrong or the consequences were wrong. But yet, yeah. you, can't, you can't go safety, safety. You're just going, it's the boy that cries wolf. Uh, but you're opening well. the country. I mean, if you open the country, you got to expect cases to rise. And where there's a cluster of cases in those three areas, like, it's not known. I can understand this lockdown. Don't think for a minute I can't because I can because, you know, these guys. Are, but the interesting point will be if it's for two weeks. If it's not three weeks. I see another fellow on today in news talk. It should be six weeks. Some professor in UCD or TCD or whatever it is. You know, they're all experts at the moment. Everyone's an expert. I'm no expert on it. I've no idea about it. But I know, all I know is it's unfair on businesses who are trying to survive. That's what it is. It's very, very simple. They can give out the grants all they like, not, not worth monkeys. And that's the reality of it for businesses who rely on your August market for your summer, summer guys coming in. Like they can't get guests in. And this hotel's all around. I mean, the percentage, 20% of in Dublin hotels, 20% of Dublin hotels. Like that ain't sustainable, no matter what walk of life you're in. And that's Dublin city. So, you know, look, it's just one of those things. And, you know, as I said, I don't envy the guys in the government at the moment, to be honest. Um, but, you know, I mean, give a reason for your rationale. Don't put it on Twitter where no one, where you don't even bother interacting with people. Don't put it on the news at six o'clock on a Friday evening, right? You're all closed. Thanks. Good luck. Because that's all this is without proper reasoning. You know, they can say there's clusters here, there's numbers there, there's numbers everywhere. Nah, I don't, I, I mean, it's, there is numbers everywhere. There's numbers all over the world with COVID-19. Like millions, millions of people are getting COVID-19. But, you know, are we, are we a little bit conservative? Probably. Um, I know, look, it boils down to the health and safety of people. Don't get me wrong. But surely, when does it become the responsibility of the people? That's, yeah. when, do they, when do they get the chance to show, young lads aren't going to hear these things. This is the real world. We live in the real world. And we, we, we mentioned this early on. There's nothing else for them to do. True. So you can't go to a pub, they're going to have a house party. That's the long and short. The kids are kids and bloody 
you know, it's, it's not only kids, but people in high risk, people over a certain age should avoid crowds, avoid people, stay at home. That's it. It's that simple. It's not fair, but it's, it's a worldwide pandemic. That's, the, you know, and that's, they're the higher risk people. I mean, it's not by chance you see so many cases now and so little deaths. Because these guys, they're younger and they have, they have stronger immune systems. And that's, you know, will, will cases come from that and deaths? Probably, because they pass it on to someone else. But that's their duty of care. But they're not adhering to it. You don't go to your granny's house you're at a house party the night before for a week or whatever it is. So, you know, they're just some of the things that I feel on it anyway. And that's, you know, simple really for me. Well, let's hope things steady out. I think it's not going to ever go away. I think we're going to be managing no. this for, for quite a while. And as you said, it's, it's exactly right. We need to put the trust back on the people. And I think communication is key, really. If we can get accurate information down, I think people are going to be more inclined to take the responsibility and, and to move on. Mm. But look, we hope that everything gets back, that the gym is back um, full and that you're closing out the doors again and people are coming and the business picked up. And it's a busy, it's a busy, busy time ahead for, for, for you guys as well. Wish you best luck with that. Yeah, say goodbye to your sleep <laughs> because it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a thought inter-county training was different. Wait, wait till you have this bundle bun, bun yeah. of joy. <laughs> but uh, listen, Connor, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, no fascinating. Problem, no, fascinating. Fascinating interview, interview, and we'll we'll talk to you all soon. Thank you.